0: i'm aaron armstrong i'm pete moran and i'm brandon leday and we love to watch we love to
1: watch unprofessionals in space
2: (laughs) well they blew up the chicken man in philly last night blew up his house too down on the boardwalk they're getting ready for a fight gonna see what these racket boys can do Trouble busting in from out of state And the DA can't get no relief Gonna be a rumble out on the promenade And the gambling commission's hanging on by the skin of his teeth Everything dies, that's a fact Maybe everything that dies someday comes back Put your makeup on, fix your hair up pretty they're very
1: unprofessional there most people in this movie are miserable at their jobs. They have no. Uh, yeah. they have no professional tone. They're constantly sexually harassing each other. uh yeah I think they, I think they, they don't need a do giant ki- I don't
0: think they need a giant kaiju to stop this group of, of astronauts all all they need is a functioning HR department. <laughs> I think this is
3: coming from a place of jealousy. And any one of us would love a job where if you're not feeling the task at hand, you just stop and have a jazzy soiree and hop around on the moon trampoline and enjoy some cocktails.
1: (laughs) Wait, that's not your job?
0: Well, yeah, half of the movie is just what it's like to be an astronaut in this world. Yeah, (laughs) And then then at the end, they're like, oh, no, we got a hitchhiker. But yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Space camp. Yeah, I think so.
1: And by work, I mean I get paid moonshine. (laughs)
0: Uh, But yeah, we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. And we're in our fourth week out of now ten of Size Does Matter uh, month where we're going through a lot of Godzilla – a lot of Godzilla – I almost said food. Um, (laughs) And Godzilla food – would be an interesting thing to discuss, but I think those are just, like, people. Does Godzilla eat? I can't picture him eating a thing.
1: He, I guess I don't think he I mean, the reason he, eats... he came to the surface in the first movie was because they destroyed his natural habitat. So He's I'm assuming he just eats lots of fish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but he doesn't... Yeah, it's true, like, you never see him bend over like a, like a Tyrannosaurus Rex and eat someone. He just is... He just is basically cooking them for later. If anything, he's puking fire for most of those movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're in our fourth week of Size Does Matter where we're talking about the Godzilla movies, which, uh, the different eras, uh, the different countries of origin. And we're, uh, we're take we're doing a couple with these, with these super sized months. It's fun to at least take a couple little, uh, related detours. And we're in our first of those where we're covering a, um, a kaiju movie from the 60s that was not produced by by Toho Studios, which there was actually a ton of those. We talked last week about by the time uh, Terror of Mechagodzilla and the Last of the Showa era comes out, that uh, people are just not going to see these movies anymore. And that's partially because in the 60s, uh, Godzilla was so popular that every studio, uh, including ones that were primarily known for releasing er- early Kurosawa films. And Ozu. Uh, was were, yeah, we're releasing uh, kaiju movies. So we're going to talk about one of those days called The extra From Outer Space. It is, uh, it is what if Godzilla was a runaway chicken and no one really cared all that much. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the other, the other types of kaiju movies that were getting released at the time before the market became so flooded that Godzilla and kaiju movies in general took a little bit of a break. But uh, before we do that, our prodigal son has returned. <laughs> um, every month we said, Brandon, come on the show. Brandon, come on the show. Every month. It's not, not time yet. I love Ronald Reagan. I <laughs> don't like Albert <laughs> Brooks. Uh, that is my brand. <laughs> uh, yeah. Pro Reagan, anti Brooks. Uh, no, we, uh, we, we forgot to invite him for a while. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but uh, he's back to talk about something that funnily enough, uh, Brandon, when you – I mean as much as we're making fun of us forgetting to invite you on the show – you took years before inviting me on the show. You invited Peter like a whole two years before myself. And when I did – when you did invite me on the show, I think this was one of the four movies I suggested that we cover. Um, and you picked The Monkey's Head, which is great choice, great movie. But this was one of the other ones that I felt like was – would be up your alley. So it was not a surprise. Somewhere in between that you ended up watching it because I don't think you had seen it at that time. And, and maybe i have that wrong you can correct me. no that's right um uh but uh but uh when i presented you the list of nine episodes for godzilla month that you could join it wasn't too much of a shock that you picked <laughs> the x from outer space so brandon why don't you introduce yourself to our uh at this point probably mutual audiences and uh and tell everyone a little bit about yourself and why you why you want to talk about the x from outer space
3: well i have a blog and a podcast uh my co-host, Brittany, is one of five people I record with on a bi-weekly basis. Uh, she's been on this show more recently than me to talk about the Brady Bunch movie. Uh, yeah, so you know how I felt then that one. <laughs> um, we we have pretty similar shows. We, we talk about just whatever... We basically take turns picking topics between six different people and um the tastes are varied enough that like some months it's all criterion collection um high art and then some months it's just like schlock 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 <laughs> uh and hopefully we
1: you talk about them a balanced diet yeah and actually I, spooky spooky <laughs> That's a particular term that Brandon has worked into my just. He's, he, I think it was mostly because you said "ooky spooky" on like one or two episodes, and then like four people challenged you on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to define "ooky spooky" on the spot. Uh,
3: <laughs> even though like word just salad divide. just kind of comes out as soon as you start talking on a microphone, you either get it or you don't. Right, um, <laughs> you feel "ooky spooky." I do. Guts.
0: I do think that you're one of one of my. Whenever your tone veers into two people that, or two or three people that have had enough of each other, it's always my favorite. (laughs) There's not enough Siskel and Ebert, like,
3: resentment on yeah. podcasts these days everyone's very like <laughs> on the same page uh
0: <laughs> I, i've talked about it before but my favorite episode is still the get out episode where it I literally turned into a yelling fight almost for 20 minutes
3: oh we were talking about us that's right
0: ah sorry <laughs> not get out yeah us.
3: yeah and then um we got on the same page about chud right after so it really suit things over yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um i actually associate the extra matter space with you guys um, because one of the earliest episodes I fell in love with on this show was Goke the Body Snatcher, um, which is in that same Criterion box set. Yep. <laughs> and I happened to be at a thrift store, and anytime you see a Criterion DVD at a thrift store, it feels like gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they had half the box set there. It was like two of the insert, like little, <laughs> like thin little spines of Extra Outer Space and Genocide. Um, and I bought both of them without having seen the other two movies in the box set. Um, so it took me a while to catch up with Goke, but I did eventually see The Extra Matter Space. And it was one of those things that it sat collecting dust in my unwatched DVDs yeah. for a long time. And then at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I made it a project to you know, have something to do in my house. Uh, <laughs> it was to clear out <laughs> all my unwatched DVDs. And I found this one delightful. Um, and then I was shocked by how um, grim and undelightful the rest of the movies in that uh, it came from, was it Shoku? Uh, Sh- uh, Shaka, Yeah, it came from Shokachu, box that is. Like the rest of it is so
0: grim in comparison yeah. to how adorable this one is. Um, Yeah, this one's super goofy. Yeah, I first heard about this movie uh, Dissolve Adjacent as well. I mean, unsurprising necessarily because of its association with, you know, an eclipse – criterion box set which i think is where you know people relearned about this this is not one that was at probably a lot of video stores in the 90s uh that or at least that i was aware of but uh one of the one of the dissolved commenters who i don't think ever made it to to our facebook group uh, craig j clark who's become a critic in his own right uh would always talk about this in the comments about how much he loved it and uh so at some point i bought that I bought that same uh, box set and I watched it before the – like a year before the We All Met. Uh, and I and I did love it and then I watched K and I ap- – I mean absolutely loved that movie. That's a five-star one of my – probably one of my favorite movies of all time. And I – to my shame, I still haven't watched Genocide of the Living Skeleton. I, they're on my spooktober list every single year and I haven't gotten to them. But it, partially is because I just always heard that the two – uh, the two that are really worthwhile and, are, and feel different and weird um were were Goke and the extra outer space and the extra outer space because it just it has a completely different vibe from every Kaiju movie that came out in the same era, which we're going to talk about a little bit today you know we uh whether it was uh Gamera or all the different one off monsters that came out came out. Godzilla eventually started as they as we've talked about started fo- following a I think a more uh lunatic based formula where it was let's just do a movie and add Godzilla in. It doesn't have to be a monster movie necessarily, but we're gonna we're gonna start fitting them in. I think that's where the one thing Peter and I have been talking about, that's really where the show, uh, uh I think movies start to get really interesting when they start doing Alien Invasion movie and Godzilla's there, or Beach Party movie and Godzilla's there, or Evil Theme Park and and Godzilla's there. All these also feature aliens, of course. Um and but the, a lot of the other, you know, movies of this era are more of the you know, a lot of them didn't get sequels or have that ability to get super weird. They are people discover monster monster attacks over, and sometimes there's little twists to it, like Mothra's a moth. Um, you know, Gamera, uh, not by Toho, had its own series of different monsters. But I've seen a lot of those. I haven't seen all of them. They really never go to the Godzilla levels of of oddness. They're just what is the new monster of a week of the week or the year that Gamera ends up fighting and a lot of times they involve children or families and destruction and, you know, they all they – all, there's dozens and dozens and they follow a very similar formula and I think what – Y X is very appealing um, as at least something different in the genre is that it is – it does not follow the kind of consistent 60s monster kaiju formula at all. It does in the sense that it has a big weirdo monster who's stomping down buildings, <laughs> but nothing el- nothing else fits in that in that formula. And I think that makes it like interesting and fun and very unique among its its peers.
1: You so, mentioned aliens also, <clears throat> and uh how many of these movies involve aliens and how many of these movies like aliens are just kind of a given. Like yeah. Well somebody's controlling this. It's obviously an alien from one of the three planets we've already talked about in this series. Um the in this during the first briefing in the movie they're all just kind of like laughing and talking and they're talking about this fucking suicide mission they're about to go on. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're like huh, we think maybe UFOs blew all your
2: your former (laughs)
1: team members up. And everyone's not like, a UFO. Everyone's just like, yeah, probably was a UFO. Which, in any other movie, any other movie, I'd be like, that's world building. They're establishing that UFOs are just kind of a... Something that's it's 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 a bit of the everyday that like you know there's there's strange objects out there we've proven that they can be quite dangerous but we we're not quite at war with them you know I would consider it some sort of like you know like ooh like a a, a tickle at uh, a higher vision of world building uh, instead in this movie I'm just like yeah they just they <laughs> all these movies have aliens so this, they just kind of made it a given it's all yeah it's almost like they
3: I mean obviously they didn't really. Know how to do the genre exactly correctly because that just wasn't their bag. They were known more for melodramas. Um, yep. But it's almost like they tried to retrofit it into a d- entirely different kind of like space exploration ge- subgenre. Cause like I- I've recently watched another, um, we love to watch classic. I watched Life Force for the first time and that sent me on yeah. a kick of all these like 50s, um, space adventure movies that kind of predated alien and life force. Like, you know, a lot of movies about like an alien stowaway on a ship. Um, yeah. And one of them was the green slime. Uh, Oh yeah. Which is pretty much exactly this same genre. Like the, the fact that the Kaiju is in the movie and like comes back to earth with them is just very Normally, that would just be, like, a um, humanoid-sized alien on the spaceship among the crew, not something that then grows to, like, a huge size once it's back on Earth. It's, it's kind of like those two different genres, like Frankenstein together, um, instead of, yeah. like, actually participating in the same,
0: like – like you said, uh, Godzilla format that had been done over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, this does have a lot in common with other sci-fi movies that you have to wonder, like, is this the first – Alien movie where the alien gets hurt and then it leaks acid blood through a thing? Like, did – I don't know if Alien stole this from from this movie, but – it's you know this obviously predates. That's a you know famous scene in Alien where they realize that the creature spit or whatever is dissolving through the floor. And I mean that happens in this. That movie, definitely you know, happened years.
3: in one of the other like Alien
0: prototypes I watched, but I cannot remember yeah. which one it was because I watched so many. Like was it? Well, there's a lot of Corman ones too, like Forbidden World and uh, like you know these these kind of like um, like sci-fi pre Alien pre Star Wars that really I think defines. So much of our our modern sci-fi and and never really like regained the credibility or had the credibility of some of the other sci-fi from this era that like we still hold up and talk about like two thousand one or, or some of the other some of the other more classy sci-fi pictures from the or data earth stood still from this era. But there is so many like weird sci-fi movies that are um, from the fifties and sixties that just haven't for whatever reason stood the 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 test of time but also haven't really been rediscovered in the way that i think a lot of like horror movies from that era have been rediscovered and appreciated and i kind
3: of wish more cinephiles would seek that stuff out because like when a movie like interstellar or um prometheus has that same like space exploration theme where people make terrible decisions even though they're scientists uh just so something ridiculous can happen on screen like to me i get a thrill because it feels like a like a pulpy throwback to that like 50s and 60s era and for a lot of audiences they just like throw their hands up and are like oh that's so ridiculous (laughs) i'm like yeah it's ridiculous it's It's
0: amazing it's almost like the level of realism that's a that that uh that current movies are able to give those science fiction settings and effects means that like it can't be pulpy and fun like this looks too real unlike those old like guy in a monster suit movies and so it has to be as serious as the effects have us believe it to be but you're right like i love Prometheus and i was i've never been bothered by what what so many people dislike about that movie and it does feel to me like you know a pulpy and fun like uh like monster movie that looks incredible and has a lot of fun like characters and moments and like you know it it one the the other thing that i think prometheus does a good job of that a lot of these not not this one at all but a lot of 50s and 60s sci-fi movies do do which is ask complicated questions and then really cover them at a very surface level like you know the Cor <laughs> the corman movies are not interested in doing 2001 or getting into a into a uh debate or a allegory around like what life means in a world of – or, you know, what created the universe in a world of, like, interstellar travel and and alien species. But they do recognize that mentioning that occasionally is worthwhile for, you know, your space movie where you're discovering new lives and new civilizations. And, like, I think Prometheus fits that really well. It's not deep in its philosophical underpinnings, but it's it's hitting really well into that kind of 60s B-level – you know sci-fi horror adventure film that you know i i think this does a good job of of uh, of of delivering as well I, I
3: like how most of those movies like save the final speech um before that like kind of like has man gone too far is this what the atomic <laughs> age is bringing us huh. but this one um just ends on another cute note of like you know romantic disappointment
1: um in this like love triangle that's oh my been like God.
0: yeah the romance <laughs> yeah. so so bizarre <laughs>
1: That whole romantic subplot just coming to nothing is sort of telling that like the movie thinks it's doing more than it's actually doing because like <laughs> maybe when I'm, they did the they did the spaghetti western thing here where the um the white actress and the white actor. I think we're just saying lines in English and then they just overdub them in, in Japanese. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if like they thought that they were like in a love, like if if she thought she was in like a love triangle movie and she had the full speech there. But then when they went to go dub it, like nobody told <laughs> told, <laughs> told that particular leg of the movie, like that this is a, you're supposed to hit these points. Instead, it's like she asks Sona, S- uh, Sano to dance once and then at the end of the movie, she's like. Man, just a shame it didn't work out. <laughs> I, I like that. Uh, they a, yeah, they have a very passive no aggressive, aggressive in shower into the last
0: three yeah. seconds. <laughs> yeah.
1: I like that, Doctor. What do you Lisa think of all these like, adventures?
0: Uh, I guess I'll be alone forever.
3: <laughs> I, I like that she's like giving her emotional all in that scene. Like she is crying yeah. her heart out. Uh, but like the rest of the movie the two women who are competing for the captain's, like, attention um, are actually really nice to each other, <laughs> even though they're both, like, romantic competition, um, which I think is just... Um, speaks to how, like, overall cute and adorable everything is in the movie. Like, nothing is taken to be scary or emotionally intense until Dr. Lisa is kicking rocks off the side of a cliff at the end and, being, like, she's <laughs> yeah. genuinely heartbroken.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. So... I- I, I don't i don't totally i don't totally understand uh what the intention is in every moment um, <laughs> but there but that is a moment where you're like oh you thought that you had built a romantic love triangle that these people had been through some sort of deep scientific conversation maybe uh that like that this movie is in dialogue with uh you know our place in the universe um but it's, it, instead it just comes across as like oh we We pointed and indicated at those things and then (laughs) moved along. That's fine, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, even their denouncement of the alien is kind of like, well, don't let this – this alien is fine. Yes, it went back to its goo form, (laughs) but do not let it hit Earth's atmosphere because it's going to happen again. This is a goo-based alien. It it gets the right combination of nitrogen, carbon dioxide, oxygen. It's going to leave its its goo form – and and turn and turn uh, into the giant angry chicken again. Yeah, that'll
2: be
1: uh, not good. It'll be not
0: good. <laughs> um, so, Brandon, before we get more into this movie, uh, obviously we're in the middle of our Godzilla month. I gave you a lot of Godzilla options, and you said <laughs> no, thank you. X marks the spot for me. Um, do you what? Do you have any relation to the the this, the the uh, sixties Godzilla Toho movies that like? made this watching this or other tangential stuff um, appealing to you? Did you like, uh, like Gamera or any of those things Was Gamera really neat slash made of turtle meat? (laughs) I, uh, I got into
3: watching Godzilla more recently because, you know, they uploaded all of those films to the criterion collection. Oh yeah. And um, it's just been very soothing pandemic watching. Like, it's kinda of like when you're a teenager and you're like, I don't know what to listen to, I'll just listen to the Beatles again. Uh like I just throw in a new Godzilla movie I haven't seen. Um, the movie that like really speaks to me from that series is one y'all've already covered on a previous cycle when you did Godzilla vs. Hetero. Oh um and i i had gotten hetera from a blockbuster like liquidation sale uh, as like a college student and that movie just absolutely blew my mind um and i feel like i've been chasing that high ever since like i enjoy a lot of godzilla movies very much but i'm always like but it's not hetera though like it's
1: not (laughs) it's not perfect um, and I would say that one is that one is particularly good uh, for you because one big gooey monster, big gooey guy, the big we trash monster, this. big gooey trash monster. <laughs> Two, it's just full of like go-go dancers and drugs, and then it just veers into like mass slaughter of people in a field, <laughs>
3: like, just nonstop fun ideas, like just yeah, constantly yeah. surprising. Like, it never falls into a rhythm or a rut, which I feel like some Godzilla movies can, um, but in a way that I've been finding very, like, soothing lately, where it's, like, uh, you know, lazy afternoon viewing, kind of passive, like, watch him smash this, watch him smash
0: that, uh, <laughs> which... Uh, yeah, they do become addicting, which we've been talking about a little, like, you know, watching one on a Saturday afternoon or something and being like, well, I could watch another one of
1: these. Right, right. Yeah, there's yeah, like a I, rhythm, I, I almost I like. I three in a row the other day, and I was like, "Yeah, that's totally comfortable." Because like you know that you know exactly what you're getting when you're you're getting in. It's usually going to be about one fight at the two thirds mark, or sorry, one fight at like the halfway point where it's like Godzilla versus the. Yes, yeah, especially as the budgets went down.
0: <laughs> yeah, you get two halfway two thirds.
1: Yeah, and then you get the big fight at the end where they blow all the money on the, the models and stuff. And, and like, you can kind of, like, sort of pay attention for the first 30 minutes. And then, like, as the movie goes on, like, pay a little bit more attention. And then you get to the last third and you're like, well, I mean, here's where all the fighting is. I I should tune in for this.
3: Yeah, there's, like, a set rhythm to them where they feel like they've always been on. Like, it, like <laughs> you kind of, like, lose time in between one ending and the other one starting. Um, it is true but i i will say this one the extra matter space like it's not as exciting as godzilla versus hetera and it's not as well executed and i i can't argue (laughs) that it achieves anything you know as close to what that movie does but it does have a similar like jazziness to it um and like vivid color scheme and um just willingness to be goofy that, like, reminds me of what I love about that one. um. So I, I do find myself more affectionate to this movie than I probably even should be. Like, <laughs> the uh, other films in this box set, they are grim in a way that, like, the original Godzilla film is grim. And, you know, it's yeah. purposefully and thematically smart in, like, how it, like, reflects these larger societal, you know uh Mm experienced in japan at the time and like i don't feel like the extra matter space deals with that at all it it really just feels like a fun side adventure um in a way that makes it probably a lesser film but um also just a really pleasant watch and uh I, i really enjoyed revisiting it even
1: though i just watched it for the first time like two years ago you know you mention you mention uh whether or not the the movie is processing any sort of societal trauma or whether or not the movie is uh you know um- d- dealing with social issues of the time obviously every movie is is of its culture but like I totally get what you're saying where it's like it will like w- like wink maybe at like a a social issue or a, or a massive historical fact and then moves on at breakneck speed whereas like the mainline godzillas will take time to park and be like. This is about the current recession going on. The first one is obviously entirely about um, nuclear disaster and... Yeah, uh, but even some of the other ones and, are
0: like, here, let's... Pollution's bad. Let's yeah, show a montage yeah. about pollution.
1: And at least there'll be, yeah, like long sequences where... There'll be long sequences where they really dwell on that fact, even if what they're saying is not that deep, you know. In this one, the only time that I even perked up to to match this to reality, like the only time... Was when they said uh, the Americans really don't want to drop another bomb on us, and then both characters just go, "I agree," and then they move on. It, like, the Americans really don't want to drop another a bomb on us. Like, yeah, yeah, that sounds sounds reasonable. And what it's, you brought it up; I thought it'd be a plot point, but no, you're just running right past it. And it's a Japanese. Yeah, when did the
0: Americans wanted to drop more than one bomb on us? <laughs>
3: And it's a Japanese and an American character having that conversation. And they're both so tense and not making yeah. eye contact. Like the movie's like uncomfortable about even bringing it up. Um, yeah. It's, ha- it's so much more itself when it's just people jumping around on a trampoline on a moonset. I mean, giggling <laughs> while jazz music exactly. plays the in the background.
1: It is, the silliness of it is, is the feature. Right. Um, and then yeah. any, anytime that I'm like, I don't know, like that doesn't really totally make sense. Like, I can I can like basically slap myself and get back to <laughs> where I'm supposed to be, right?
3: I mean, honestly, I think the entire point of this movie is like, look at all the cute miniatures, aren't they adorable? Um and <laughs> yeah. that never gets old, because <laughs> there's a bunch of yeah. them.
1: And like that does harken to something that I don't think we've talked about uh so far, which is that whether or not these movies are for kids. Um, or if these movies are primarily targeted towards kids? And the answer is they obviously, like, you know, these movies over time were made more... I think it's... Some, yeah, good.
0: it's very much some of them, yes. Some of them is, are. Yes. Which is which is confusing,
1: I think, if you were, say, like, a
0: kid who bought the Criterion. <laughs> I don't know why you're <laughs> like, buying the Criterion. But, but, I mean, I guess... I mean, as someone who's shown some of these to, to my kids, like, some they're really into and some they're not at all. And it's because some are... More targeted to their sensibilities and some and some are not at all interesting to them.
1: I just think children's entertainment probably got more um, entertaining. (laughs) And I mean that in the in the like it came to them more in terms of stimulation uh, and speed uh, in the 80s. Um, than a lot of these 60s kind of kids movies did oh yeah um, I mean like
0: getting getting them to the end of destroy all monsters took a little bit
1: of <laughs> effort L- a, little, a little little uh push um yeah I, but like
0: how about more popcorn
1: <laughs> but in this one um it, it really reminded me of a simple one of the simple appeals of this movie which is that like we just we discussed it a little bit in the first episode but we kind of had to run past past it because the first movie is so so serious once the monsters and that once the kaiju and godzilla himself become a little bit sillier and once these other kaiju movies become a little bit sillier like it does allow kids more of an in to see this um big monster that's not totally in control of their emotions and is sort of thrashing around and having a tantrum and is smashing things that look exactly like their toys. Yeah. Right? Maybe they look a little bit more expensive or they have a slightly better coat of paint than their toys. But, like, the fact that, like, these probably looked not dissimilar from, like, a little tank that a small Japanese boy could have um, is is part of the... Um, it is part of the appeal for kids because, like, they can... They they can put themselves into the monster's monster feet, um, and it doesn't feel dangerous to them uh, in the way that, like, some of the later Godzillas and some of the earlier early Godzillas felt.
3: And I feel like this one's even more focused on the toys aspect of it than most kaiju movies, because, yes. like, usually... I mean, the, the standard complaint from most people who you know don't enjoy the genre is that the monster is never on screen enough, which is, yeah. I guess, theoretically true because effect shots just cost money, and <laughs> it's like easier to like you know kind of space them out. But like, usually there is like a. Um, like y'all were saying earlier like a rhythm to like when the monster's going to attack um you know there's like a formula it, it'll come at the beginning and have a big showcase and then in the middle again and then towards the end there'll be a big fight and like the government will work together to like figure out how to defeat it this movie does not introduce the giant space chicken until like almost an hour into its runtime and saves all seven minutes. (laughs) It's so wild how how late in the movie it is. And then they save all of that, you know, monster action for the last half, but it doesn't save the miniatures for that final half an hour. That's like throughout. There's so many little rocket ships and like tanks and, you know, moon bases and just like just teeny tiny little cute things throughout the entire film. To the point where you could just tell that they were having fun building this stuff and shooting it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really, it is, it is very, it feels very like fun and innocent and to the point where like, like the, the, the it permeates the movie like I don't know if working on this movie was miserable but it certainly doesn't feel miserable right um it doesn't feel like a mercenary effort it feels like yeah a bunch of people regardless of their level of technical skill getting together and being like no we're gonna make the next big monster movie we're gonna freak a bunch of people out <laughs> and then it, it came out in this big silly thingy yeah and, <laughs> and it does feel like thingy. I mean that like I mean I don't know what the writing process
0: was was right but the vibe it gives off is that they kept running out of ideas every 15 minutes when they were writing the script they're like we're in a space movie they go to space they're worried about ufos and then they're like let's spend some time you know what we could do a whole moon base we're gonna spend some time <laughs> with moon base a little bit of a love triangle going on okay and the ufos don't really come up as much but then on the way back there's these asteroids. Okay, now we got some excitement. And then they're like, man, that's only forty pages. <laughs> like, what are we what are we doing for the rest of it? And they're like, okay, what if instead of asteroids, they're eggs? <laughs> and those eggs, like it that I mean, that that is what it feels like, where they're that they started with a true blank page and wrote the story and wrote the story as it as it as it kind of came to them. Um and so, like, yeah, once they get to the halfway point, they're like, got it. Egg, Earth, atmosphere, giant kaiju monster. Like, the rest of this thing <laughs> literally writes itself. Like, then we get to do – but that's, that's the energy it gives off. And so, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it has a framing or, like, a, a sense that makes sense. And what's also wild about it is that, um, you know, there are some Godzilla movies later in its run where, like, 50 minutes for Godzilla to show up isn't the – like Godzilla versus the Sea Monster or even, or even Terror of Mechagodzilla. Godzilla doesn't show up until about the 50 to 60-minute mark. But the big difference is that, A, there's other kaiju happening. Right. Like it's still a kaiju movie, whether it's a Mechagodzilla or a giant lobster or something like that. And then, two, the other thing that really sets the tone for those movies is they have Godzilla in the title of it. And he's a very well-known character. <laughs> so – so if sure if uh, if God, if you're watching Terror of Mechagodzilla or uh or something like that and you're like man Godzilla hasn't shown up yet you still probably understand that at some point it's like watching a Batman movie or something where like you know like where Christian Bale doesn't doesn't become Batman till an hour into Batman Begins like you still aren't necessarily shocked that there's a Batman eventually in the movie, even if it's really focusing on like a crime family and a really sad kid for the first hour or whatever. Um, In this, I imagine, I mean, I get that there was posters that probably highlighted there was a Kaiju somewhere in there, but this does feel a little bit like, Oh fuck, there's a Kaiju in this movie. (laughs) I I find it kind of odd
3: that, The title makes it sound like they don't have a name or a definition for the monster. Like. They say Gilala a lot uh, towards the end of the movie. I wonder what like marketing meeting they had where they decided that was not good enough for the poster. You think this was originally called the TBD from outer space? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there is like a variable in the title. It's the X from outer space. We don't even know what it is, um, which makes it sound like this big unknowable beast. But then they go out
0: but, of their
1: but way. Then they have
0: a name for it, and they figure <laughs> it out pretty quick.
1: Yeah, and then, yeah, they even have a. They even come up with a name for what kills it. Gilala. <laughs> linium (laughs) oh dude it does it sounds like somebody is like explaining he's (laughs) it's like sounds like someone is explaining something to you but they are just about to puke (laughs) a cat throwing up Um (laughs) (laughs) it it doesn't and like i don't know how to properly phrase this but like it's gotta be really hard to come up with a monster name that translates across the channels. And cause even Godzilla and the Gojira thing, like even, even with that, because it has the double L's, right? Like it's, it's just, it's not pronounced the same way um, across the, across the ocean. Um, It's gotta be hard to come up with a monster name that like people want to say um, on the other side of the world. So I, I can't totally knock them for that, but like, could they have asked like people to say the word out loud enough times that they're like, "Actually that sounds pretty stupid, <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, maybe that's why it's called the extra outer space, right, like the marketing people were like, We're not calling it the Galila for outer <laughs> space, right it's not happening our our studio's been through enough, uh which actually let's let's quickly touch on it that just sounds like let's... you've been
1: overserved,
0: yeah, oh. I think everyone involved in this movie was underserved <laughs> um, perfect timing uh yeah, so uh Shakuchu is again this one was one of the early like uh film studios in in Japan, and they're they're making ozu films and um they're making early Kurosawa films and I didn't know this until I started uh doing some research for this, but a, uh movie studios in Japan like suffered greatly with uh the advent of television and like like japanese audiences like stopped going to all the different movies and really kind of stayed home and so it put a few competing like some of the smaller studios or old ones that didn't have like a steady steady stream of like genre hints or, or something to bring them to to the movies um it's put them out of business. So like at, in the in the early 60s a lot of Japanese movie studios went out of business including a lot of Shachis um competitors and then some of their other competitors turned to either like uh pornography or like uh, films. yeah or like or like really violent gangster mo- like su- ultra violent like studio which which in retrospect just seems like or like in a comparison seems you know, so so weird to understand. Like it'd be like if all of a sudden, like you know, MGM in the in the '60s was like, I don't know, pornography. <laughs> like hey, Fox Studios, like, you'd be like, man, MGM used to make Orson Welles films. Now they're just doing pornography. Fox like, Studios did try a few X-rated a bit,
3: but... movies at some point. That uh, <laughs> did not last that, long. That is true. Yeah. <laughs>
1: no, yeah. Um, I mean, but, I, I, but like, I, I I've seen a lot of like the Kinji Fukasaku, like, um, like. Battles Without Honor and Humanity, like a lot of the really rad uh, yakuza films of the time, and like I didn't quite realize that the reason that like one of my ins into watching Japanese movies was just really liking like. Uh, j- like and nudity. A, a liking violence and nudity, I was I liked these like rough and tumble Japanese crime movies, yeah. um, that were like very direct and you know <clears throat> they they didn't tiptoe around sex. Like I liked a lot of these movies, but I didn't quite realize that like that that as a genre became so strong because like it was one way to get people out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah it was yeah you had to go see something that you
0: couldn't see on on television um and so yeah uh you know toho continued to you know as as the biggest studio continued to do well but a lot of the other studios just kind of floundered went out of business or kind of went to went to some of these other things uh Shakerju was very wanted to maintain its kind of family friendly uh, or orient, oriented um uh movies so that doesn't necessarily mean, I think, our, our, like, our idea of family-friendly now, obviously, which is like G-rated Minions movies, wear a suit, go see The Rise of Gru, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, but it was just like things that theoretically would be entertaining for truly the whole family, so adults and everything else. But they also realized they needed to do something different than the type of movies that were making, which is why you have this like When Horror Came to Shock you set, where they tried to essentially do less extreme or gory versions of a lot of these kind of like more horror based movies so you have Goke which is kind of a mind fuck you have like more more uh normal or more standard horror films of the 60s which aren't too violent or gory or anything like that but you know are hopefully are are getting are spooky enough to get people to want to go see it in theaters and then they have this one very weird relic of the time where they never went full uh, you know, Toho wasn't the only one that had success in 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 kaiju movies. Gamera was uh was produced by a different studio, and they found a lot of success there. So this was kind of their you know chucking darts at the wall and going, okay, well, maybe we could get a kaiju movie franchise going. And like, I think that's extra charming with what they ended up coming up with because in like in retrospect. What we just talked about—why this movie so appealing—feels like all reasons that if you were making this movie with the idea of if we could get a kaiju franchise going, <laughs> we can we can compete and do more things. Like if you were thinking in that those terms, which is what led to this movie, this shouldn't be the movie that you made. <laughs> you know, like. This does not seem to be going like we're going to get a character who is going to then be featured in many of these movies. This feels the opposite of what you would do, which again make a movie that is called the X from Outer Space, has an unpronounceable name, <laughs> and the, the the monster feels like an afterthought that almost has no characterization, and the the characters for the most part seem relatively nonplussed by it at, at all times. <laughs> And that's
1: why um, this
3: movie did not have a sequel until 2008.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it almost feels like they were waiting for it to enter public domain, but uh, it's not quite long enough.
3: I I think there's actually one more way in which this movie shoots itself in the foot if they're really trying to big up the Gilala monster, which is that. It goes out of its way to make sure that you compare it to a chicken like you would think they want to avoid that comparison at all costs if they're trying to come up with this new monster that's going to like inspire fandom. Um, But there's like a whole scene where they're like, that's a chicken claw. Um, Yes. (laughs) Just so you make sure that we know that this is a giant space chicken, which I feel like really undercuts. It's like cool
0: factor. Turns into an egg, yeah. I mean, at least like, you know, Godzilla's like, it's a dinosaur. Chimera's like, it's a giant turtle. Like these recognizable, you know, a lot of the like it's a moth. It's a pterodactyl, it's a sea monster. Like, I don't know, it's a chicken.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Reptiles have been done. We we're too late for the reptile game. We gotta think of something. We got to think of something different. I know a chicken when the, that looks like a reptile.
1: <laughs> when they yeah, when they um I mean that there's a <laughs> there's a reason why uh when they came back and made more Jurassic Park movies, they weren't like, "Okay, we're going to get these back to the actual genetic uh, you know, like what they what they actually looked like." Like people people find birds funny cuz birds are funny. They walk around, they peck, they got weird little beaks. When they finally blew up the they finally Blew up the chicken man. I started singing Atlantic City to myself. <laughs> like I guess just sitting on my couch and it was just like they blew up the chicken man in Tokyo last night. <laughs> 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 they blow up his house too. Like I started singing to myself because I immediately I saw this thing, but it's bipedal and it doesn't have doesn't quite have wings. And I was like, oh, it's a Chicken Man, but it kind of does have wings in the sense that when it eats enough radioactivity, it can fly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it. I mean, it. That's the thing is, it has no Godzilla and all these other monsters. They like they try to establish some some motivation and some like level of like. You know, uh Gamera is, is eventually a savior and he when when the city's threatened, he has to come do something. Uh Godzilla has that has that change too. But first he's kind of this force of nature that's been unleashed by mans and like he just seems angry like he's you know his his environment's been taken away from him he's been affected by that and he he's going on a rampage this this really does seem like you've dropped a confused chicken in the (laughs) middle of the city like there's there's nothing about like and i i think that's also why like no one is is fundamentally all that scared of him because it does just seem like an annoyance to everyone like this this stupid fucking chicken like does not know what it's doing it's crashing into things it's just it's wobbling around it is it is it's not like some some of these like monster movies are silly in presentation because the effects or the suits or something you know the everything else makes it seem silly this monster is silly in concept and and it it, it 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 is so funny that they thought that this that there could be a Gal- Galila or whatever franchise that that came from this, um, and you know in in a in an era where they were making sequels to tons of kaiju movies or putting them in any universes, I do think that like. The reason that it's remembered and special today by a lot of people in a way that so many like have you heard of Antragon, Antragon's fine, but you've never probably heard of it because who cares? Like, there's so many of those that match that qualification because they are they are like slightly worse or 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 slightly more boring or very worse or much more boring versions of the Godzilla story or some version of that. And so they just say, you know, why would you watch that? You would just watch Godzilla in most cases. Even that's a, kind of always been my my thing with Gamera too. I, I've just never really enjoyed it because it's like, oh, this is like slightly worse Godzilla for the most part. And so if I'm going to be watching this, I would just rather watch Godzilla. And like this missing the mark so so much from what these movies – we're supposed to do is is what is what has made it something that i think has a fandom that is talking about it on podcasts in a way that you know we're not doing antragon this month could you imagine if they had all those
3: cute little rocket ships and moon bases and stuff and then they introduce the monster over halfway into the movie and it's like some terrifying hell beast (laughs) like some like (laughs) unknowable lovecraftian monstrosity like uh it it really needs to be a goofball chicken from outer space. It, it would
1: be pretty funny if the movie had this tone and then that happened and then everybody <laughs> fucking dies. <dots. laughs>
2: yeah. And the movie just
1: ends with white static for three minutes.
0: <laughs> that also seems like a movie
2: worth
1: talking about, but uh Yeah, that'd be rad. But like yeah, like the like like people just like sort of bopping around space and then all of a sudden they stumble on a weird rock and they're like, well, better bring it home, and then all of a sudden it completely fucking destroys their entire world. <laughs> Uh, like- bunch of horny co-heads go to space they get a rock they do they do in the in the least motivating w- w- are you guys ready to go to
0: space speech in the entire world probably <laughs> they, you know,
1: what's funny is the sci- head scientist guy is like yep the previous crews that all went to mars uh all blew up um they probably blew up because of ufos those are out there <laughs> um we're gonna give you a nuclear reactor Um, we don't think it's going to help you much. And, uh, you know, eventually we'll stop sending people out to Mars, but you're the next crew. And they're all just like smiling, like we're going (gasps) to space.
0: I, I uh what's so funny is that I I just watched the first few episodes of the Apple Plus show For All Mankind which is about like the 60s space race but what if Russia won instead and like but it still has like the meticul the the meticulousness of the NASA program about like every little thing is decided so everyone's safe and I was like there has never been a mission briefing with this many caveats in the entire world like just just okay so A lot of people aren't coming back from these types of missions. We're going to try you out. Just know. We don't know what's out there. We're not sure if this is going to work. There might be UFOs. We don't know what's killing all the crews. (laughs) All right, any questions? They've done
3: it enough times that there's a static map on the wall with, like, one flight path that um, is the only way that, you know, you can travel by, and a little light, like, follows the
0: little path. Yeah, Yeah, so when you go on this path, people are dying. They die right about here. This is the only path we know, (laughs) really. Yeah, no one seems sad. No one seems concerned. The head scientist clearly has a fake goatee. Yeah. which I don't understand. He is inexplicably not evil. He's not evil, but he just does not care. Everyone, everyone seems like these jobs were assigned to them.
1: Like, It's like a way, okay, so there is a way that you can go through, like, kitty-like abandonment of reality, and go through the other side of it, like a wormhole. Yeah. um, And come out in just pure... Like candy-colored nihilism, yeah, and that's kind of what this movie is to me. It's like candy-colored nihilism. Like <laughs> nobody, nobody really recognizes the dead. When people are in danger, they're like, "Yeah, I guess, guess we should go, go check that out." Um, yeah, when a bo- no one cares that there's a
0: UFO, as 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 Brandon said, it's just like, "Oh, okay, well, it could be a UFO." Like no one, even when they're even when they're flying to the space station on the moon. And they're like, was that a UFO? Like, you know, they have some, they have some, uh, some turbulence or whatever on the way. And like, everyone's just like, all right, well, that's over. Time to sit. I guess, I guess we're going to survive. When a beloved
3: member of the crew, um, is taken out due to space sickness, he just gets immediately replaced.
0: Um, and that's that. (laughs) No one ever thinks about him again. (laughs) Look, if you're committed to a life in space, some, some of your friends are going to die of space sickness. (laughs)
3: And that guy who um, gets the the scientist character that comes and replaces the, the space-sick scientist uh, hates his job more than anybody else in this
0: movie. He just constantly ever, I mean, complains yeah. about it. Hates his job. And I like that the entire trip and the briefing um, that they brought the in-house bad of uh, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass <laughs> to do all their, <laughs> all their in-house music.
1: Oh, yeah. So they... They get out of the Earth's atmosphere, they're set to go to the moon, and immediately, yeah, like, some Herb Albert shit starts kicking in, and they're like, the swinging 60s. And they all immediately just get out of their fucking space chairs, and they're like, let's walk freely around the deck. I don't have any work to do. Like, nobody in this movie really seems to have a job until in the third act, they're like, oh, yeah, we're scientists. <laughs> I forgot about that. Like they all just I, I don't know what their mission is really to go to Their mission gets established when after I, I think their mission is like let's see if
0: you guys don't die on the way. To <laughs> We're trying to figure out how to send people to the moon without them dying.
1: I think Yeah, they're their mission is is the same mission that uh yeah, when we sent like fucking leka when the Russians sent like Leka and those dogs to space, like it's the same mission, like well, you're gonna come back either mostly dead or not at all. um, we're just gonna get some whatever data we can from you. I think Dr. Lisa, the one white lady, is,
3: like, the only person with a specific thing to do, which is just collect samples and bring them back to Earth, which, uh... <laughs> just,
0: just samples! I don't know what kind. Yeah, just, just... Give me some samples! Anything
3: that she could pick up on the moon or on Mars, like, she's supposed to bring back with her, which, you know, is the one thing that, like, yeah. actually goes somewhere in the movie. Um, hey,
0: Lisa, can you come here? You've brought a bunch of silverware from our moon base. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you said samples! from the moon. Uh, um, these are uh, small little it uh, seems like blocks of aged Gouda. Yeah, they have a Costco on the moon. I got samples. <laughs> you don't want something from
0: Pretzel Maker? They got cinnamon, cinnamon sugar. The guy just gave it to me. I think he worked there. Um, they, they also have the best like, um, you know, I, I know like Neil Armstrong iconic line classic line about being on the moon you know one small step for man one giant leap for mankind i think this has a competitor though when they get there uh one of the i forget who says it but one of the crew members says this is groovy i can't believe we're on the moon
3: <laughs> a more authentic response like <laughs> believably <the> genuine
0: <laughs> which is it which is-, is funny because uh, isn't it their job to go to the moon they're one of the moon crews <laughs>
1: Well, their job is to go to Mars, but they're just stopping by them. Oh, that's right. And there's several so they parties be... they
3: have to stop at on the
1: way. <laughs> so they should be less yeah. impressed. I, as far as I can tell... Okay, so that's another thing about this movie. They have a new nuclear reactor that's supposed to be state-of-the-art. And yet, they still have to like stop and refuel at the moon on their way to mars which uh, contrary to the diagrams they have in all of the the mission control um the moon is very close to us Uh, (laughs) mars is pretty far (laughs) so they get out they get out there and they're like immediately i don't even know what the what their their plan is i'm assuming it's like refueling or whatever maybe like somebody drank all the fucking gym beam and they need to stop by the moon um but they basically go there and they immediately start
2: they immediately start
1: showering and getting drunk as if they've been on fucking like <laughs> they've been on like a nine month moon mission, and they they've they haven't seen a shower. Like, bro, you got up here like twenty minutes ago. Well, they use the dual
0: showers to have a passive aggressive little like minor like it, it's not mean, but there is like a little bit like, oh, you like the captain, I like the captain. All right. Well, let me scrub harder. <laughs>
1: yeah, this movie has uh, this movie uh, waddled so Starship Troopers could sprint uh, in terms yeah. of uh, group shower scenes because for some reason they have tons of water on the moon. I think they pull the well, hold on, hi- but, but, but it's, not real water. Not, it's not real water from the rocks. It's not
0: real water, Peter. Don't call it water. <laughs> it's, and then he
1: goes, "It's better than real water. It's because better than real it's water. Pure.
0: Yeah." Like, it's artificial but it's pure cuz it was synthesized from h2 rocks
1: yeah but and then the, oxygen that they had to bring right yep yeah. i don't get it <laughs> i like the but anyways i like the idea perfect. that like you you were already
3: saying like the you know brass like samba music is constant um and i feel like it just kind of overpowers them like you kind of forget that it's playing over and over again but then they have to like stop and have a jazzy shower and a jazzy cocktail party and a jazzy walkabout like the music um is kind of like playing um in the background at all times and then it sort of overtakes the soundtrack and people stop talking and just start dancing or jumping around
0: um or like scrubbing themselves under the big water it is kind of amazing that 2001 a space odyssey came out after this because if if you didn't know that and you couldn't – like you would go, oh, they were probably doing like – you know how in the beginning of the first like – one of the first sections of 2001 is like them at the space station and what it's like to be on a – or not a space station, on a moon base. And so let's do the same type of thing. But obviously, you know, it's not Stanley Kubrick and it's it's more just it's on like a let's do that. Yeah, It's exactly. groovy. <laughs> but somehow this came out before. so like they're not they're not doing the this 2001 thing of anything 2001 is doing the x from outer space thing of spending a lot of time at the at the at the moon base but it is yeah it is they yeah they just get there and they hang out and they go and they go jump around and they have a good time on the the gravity which i
1: think is a good time good way to spend your time i guess Lots of giggling. Yeah, yeah, they they go and jump on trampolines that are conveniently hidden behind some moon rocks to make (laughs) it look like they're just bouncing. They don't even do the trick that they do in later movies, um, which is like, you know, you just kind of have people tugged on wires a little bit. So it looks like they're kind of bouncing in space. But, like, you can tell that, like, the way their suit is tugging (laughs) that, like... There's wires like wired through them, but like it's still charming because you know the actors are selling it. and this, it's just people in, in spacesuits jumping up in one one y-axis, just directly <laughs> up the <town.
2: laughs>
0: Yeah. There's no flight. It's way off in the background. You just kind of see some heads poking up. I mean, I also love that like for no reason, and this this is the energy of the movie that I enjoy, where it just feels like not a lot was intentional, where uh they they when they get there they're having the meal where they have the water conversation and everyone is sitting at the this table except for one of them that inexplicably is sitting at a separate table um, but still having a conversation with everyone at the other table. He like, knows what he did.
2: It.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does It does seem like they put one person in timeout. Like, they <laughs> split between the tables. It does feel like as they were setting up the set that day, everyone grabbed their seat and he was the last one there. And they're like, well, sorry you shut up for set last. You're going to sit in the table next to, you, to us. I think just- – okay,
1: so, so I think the I, – I think like – Okay, so yeah, the the bar has extremely weird vibes, and also, it is like so, they they so much barely want to dress this up like it's a space station. Like, every space station in this era of movies pretends like the gravity will never fail whatsoever, like nothing is bolted down, everything is just like glass on glass on glass, like everything is just a potential- Peter, they can make water. (laughs) <laughs> yeah they're they're fine they're fine but it reminds me of when they make better water than water it like reminds people. me of it when we do the star trek episodes and we talk about 10 forward and we talk about we've talked about other like space bars and stuff and media and like there's multiple times i've been like i'd love to to drink uh send the hall at 10 forward or whatever like i'd like to i'd love yeah. to uh i'd love to hang out at one of these space bars i'd love to and star wars has so many great space bars like i'd love to drink in the cantina I drink as much blue milk as I, as I could, I could get. Um as many space credits as I had in my pocket I'd spend straight it straight from milk. the nipple. Straight from the nip. Um I'd go I go wild in uh in uh the cantina. Um but like this is a space bar that I want no part of. I want no part of this space bar. It's awkward and cramped and when people want to listen to music they walk over and turn on an intercom like my grandma's my grandmother's house used to have because she used to have a series of intercoms in her house, they were all hooked up to the radio, and they were always set to this, like, miserable, like, m- like modern 60s, 70s jazz station. And it was always set at, like, a two or a three, and you could hear it from every room in the house except for the basement. Um, and that sort of reminds me of, because they were, like, hardcore, like, the- their idea of Prosperous was, like, the 1960s uh, vision of it. And th- this very much reminds me of like my grandmother's house um, where it's like it's like there's like uh, there's just like a box on the wall that you, you you turn one valve and then all of a sudden like sexy jazz music comes out. And then you just kind of like dance like video game characters in the <laughs> middle of this awkward closet They're, they're, all, the, they're all the sims. <laughs> Yeah they are all the sims they are yeah. they are they're all fallout characters who like are like well we have to make this town seem alive let's have a uh, one bar where two people are are sort of dancing near a jukebox but their loops are 3 seconds long cuz nobody looks at them that long um, <laughs> so they're doing the same dance moves over and over and over again um it's 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 a it's a depressing little bar and for some reason the the ladies get all dressed up in in, in cool like uh you know 60s colorful dresses and the guys are like Nope. I just decided to put my spacesuit back. I'm on. an
0: astronaut. <laughs> if you're not impressed with me being an astronaut? Then why are we here?
1: They are all like they are all like. Well, they're we're astronauts. They're women astronauts. Yeah, at least There is like a, a vein of misogyny well, yeah. through almost every. Lisa uh, does get to
3: push back on that a little bit when um they're you know on the little rocket ship and the new doctor. Uh, is asking for better dinner options and she's like i'm not a waitress i'm a scientist i don't even know why i'm serving you dinner right now
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah she becomes the caregiver just by default she has to humor the sex pest on board yeah um there's a guy who's supposed to be the comic relief who immediately starts sexually harassing them as they're walking out of the briefing in the very beginning of the movie. It's like, yeah, he just It's not like he's like two months in the mission and he's like, you know, starting to lose some of his social graces because he's been locked in a tube.
2: <laughs> he's been,
1: he's not set foot off the planet yet. And he's just like, man, wouldn't you like to go on a, on a date with me? You want to go on a date with me in space?
3: She does throw that right back at him a little bit. She's like, yeah, your heart rate's uh, raised high, too. Are you, like, excited by me? Um, is she the protagonist of this movie? Like, the more I'm thinking it's, about v- it... It's
0: very unclear. I think them as a unit are the protagonists and maybe the scientists from Earth. But she gets, like, the well most, like, momentary,
3: like, quips, and I don't know, she no, does I, the I, most? I, yeah, I,
0: yeah, I mean, we are seeing her perspective, even if... At the end, she does not get the her her love interest, <laughs> and that very awkwardly. Cuts to to other people.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, I think I mean, like a movie that's at war. Like the that let's say the director thought that the the that Sano was the the lead, and the editor thought that Lisa was the lead, yeah. and they were just sort of like they just didn't communicate at all, and they just sort of like. He's like, well, there's not enough Lisa here, so we better have a lot of of shots of her just sort of smiling emptily at everything.
0: Now, I know you're thinking, if you've never seen this movie, like, man, they're riffing on what must be a scene quite a lot. But let's be clear. (laughs) What we've just described is the first 40 minutes of an hour and 26
1: minute movie. That's it
2: like Talk that the is of
1: this movie. Like that is the movie. Like yeah. it is, it is s- swinging sexy uh, astronauts in space, um, sexually harassing each other. Momentarily, uh, Lisa is allowed to stand up for herself. And then the movie defaults to, well, she's just bummed because she can get the right guy. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, it's just sort of like that sixties version of misogyny where it's like women can stand up for themselves, but also doesn't she need a man?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, but also, while we're there, we're talking about it being, I, I, I love the name of the vessel. Oh, At first yeah. First, they're like, it's the AAB Gamma. <laughs> it's the
3: Astro you know Boat. Like,
1: <laughs> and then I'm like, yeah, like, let's come up with something else. The Astro Boat. Which is, uh, <laughs> so cute. They, they, yeah,
0: in the br- it's one of the first things in the briefing where they're like, don't worry, we've given it a nickname. <laughs> Like,
1: like, like if you were naming a spaceship that you were sending to mars you'd be like excelsior you name it after a greek god or you'd be like or you'd like come up with something like clever or you name it after like your fucking grandmother instead it's like <laughs> you know what spaceships are like boats it really it really is it
0: really is like the radio shack of like there's that joke about like uh the onion article about like how was radio shack Still in business in like in like 2008, where their name is the two least appealing things to to modern uh, a radio that no one cares about and a shack. <laughs> They're selling cell phones for some reason. Like that's what it reminds me of like the Astro Boat.
1: Astro Boat, and like yeah, that is it's it's like a love boat. that's like if
0: they actually called you know uh gene roddenberry pitched star trek as wagon train to the stars like (laughs) if he actually called it the ss covered wagon one or something
3: (laughs) that that is something the movie does fill a lot of that first hour with is just shots of the astro boat in space there are a lot of effect shots um yeah which is great like even the ufo attacks
0: they don't look fantastic um but there's Everyone a lot of non, <laughs> nonplussed by it completely. Like, no yeah. one says anything. Everyone's like, yeah, well, they did tell us this could happen. It's it's kind of like if you're on your first airline flight and turbulence happens and, like, someone warns you, like, hey, so the plane may shake. And that's just part of the, the situation. But you're not in danger. Except in this case, they are in danger. And they were warned about that, too. But they're like, oh, look. Yeah, it was a UFO. Crazy.
1: Yeah. All right. Yes. Yeah. Well. So, okay. So the sh- I'll, let's talk about, um, let's, yeah, let's, we're, let's we're, I mean, about, we're let's in the middle of the
0: movie where they go space. to Mars. Like that's where we're at right now. I mean,
1: space looks, I think space looks uh, really neat and the shot of, of earth looks really neat. Uh, so much to the point that I was wondering if it was stock footage from a different movie. Um, <laughs> the, the UFO looks kind of charming, but it's clearly like two pieces of, of like, um, opaque plastic with like, yeah. Christmas lights on the inside.
3: I thought I thought um, it looked like a pie without a tin.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has sort of like a jelly jelly with lights in it kind of quality. Their ship just looks like an airport tram. <laughs> like its wings are pointed. All of its wings are pointed down. Which I was like, are, did this come off of rails? Like, yeah. What
0: it reminds me of, Peter, is a uh, bus, a boat.
1: <laughs> it's it's you know what yeah you know it, it, the name is actually appropriate because it does look like a fucking boat it looks yeah. like it looks but like, like a boat not a like the sails on and the put sea but like the, the the
0: 1986 mercury grand Marquis i had growing up like a,
1: <laughs> that that's
0: a boat uh-huh
1: yeah and i bet you it also it had a um a her balbert stuck in the tape deck also. <laughs> did
0: have a tape deck
1: uh um, uh, yeah, so I mean they eventually go to Mars. <laughs> I mean, they the, yeah, toward. well sort of. They don't they go to somewhere well, they try near to Mars. They leave. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the mission okay, the, the scientist calls at the beginning. He says this mission is not gonna has not been going well. Let's see how it goes for you. They also do not make it to Mars. They make it to like Mars's orbit and then they get attacked. There's a hole in the ship. Yeah. Um asteroids. Yeah, uh, yeah, they get they get troided.
0: I I and do love when the the asteroid goes through the ship and they lose their gravity they're like it's, ki- it's kind of like I mean I hate using this uh, analogy but it's like a boat that has hit a minor wave <laughs> <But> yeah,
2: <'cause,
1: laughs> that's why they call it a boat because uh, no one is ever in zero G in this movie really
0: well that is expensive
1: <laughs> yeah like it does okay there's a very cute joke that I did not mention in um Astro, our Astro Monster episode, Invasion of the Astro Monster episode. There's a very cute joke that's extremely stupid that reminds me of this. Where <clears throat> um, the I don't know the American doctor, the American scientist goes, "Does something feel weird to you?" And then uh, the Japanese uh, uh, scientist goes, "Oh, sorry, I had the plane upside down." And oh yeah. Flips it, and then <laughs> he flips it, and <laughs> the image flips 180 degrees, and
0: that is that is a very funny joke.
1: And I'm like, I know they know that there's no up and down in space, but like, what are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, it feels like it, the only way they can make that joke is if they know there's no up and down in space, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, that is clearly a joke.
1: Yeah. This, it feels like that where it's – it's but it's sort of like space is just like a big black room that you drive from planet to planet in your space boat. <laughs> like you're – yes, you're – what is your Lincoln Mercury? What was the the car you said you had? Oh, uh, Mercury Grand Marquis. <laughs> Mercury Grand Marquis. There we go. Uh,
0: uh, yeah, but they try to get there and then uh, within the asteroids then all of a sudden – uh there's spores all over the tail of the boat. Yeah. <laughs> and they have to I, I I love the spacewalk where they have to like go out and get get the spores off the ship. Mm-hmm. And and then I think right 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 after that they're like, Well, we got the hole. We got the spores. Lisa
1: has Time her samples.
0: Lisa has her samples.
1: I wanna to touch on something really quick yeah. before we go back to Earth. Um I I mentioned everybody is unprofessional. There's multiple the the captain gets challenged literally every three minutes on this crew, and this movie you get the sense that this is literally like a four day mission. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like the captain gets challenged literally by everybody at different points, and is like nobody is ever written up for insubordination. At one point, a spooked doctor that they pick up another uh, you know Westerner white actor whose lines are, are dubbed. Um, He is like, just wants to go home to his wife. He's stuck on the moon base because their doctor got sick. He gets recruited on the ship. He literally wrestles control of the steering wheel, the space steering wheel away from Captain Sano. And I was like, oh, there's a mutiny plot. They're going to launch this dude out the fucking airlock, or they're trying to make us feel better for the aliens killing this guy because like, you know, he's being annoying. Um, Instead, everybody makes it back fine. Um, they make it back to Earth. They get the sample to Earth. They have to keep it in a vacuum tube in a chamber. They all look at it. And the head doctor goes, let's party. Yeah. <laughs> he literally says, let's have a party at my house tonight. to Yeah, like, look, I bird. think we've all
0: had quite the long day going to space, being an investigator, getting samples. Like, you made it home. That's. It's the first time I've been able to invite a crew back. You know, to my house for a party, mainly because the rest of them have died. So, good <laughs> on you.
1: My, my wife keeps buying Spanica to Pipa, Spanica Pipa, or whatever it's called. At, <laughs> how do you say the Greek thing?
3: Spanakopita. Spanatopia.
1: My wife keeps buying Spanakopita, and it's in, in the freezer for six weeks. We've been looking to thought, you're coming over for dinner tonight.
3: You know, most of the, like, monster movies y'all are watching for this cycle is, like... As we were saying earlier, there's like a rhythm to the monster attacks. This one has a rhythm of cocktail parties. Like every like ten fifteen minutes, there has to be a
0: cocktail party. It's a no kind matter of where we are in the plot, to stop the monster. Right? <laughs> like, look, it's going to be very hard. To, very hard to have a cocktail party. <laughs> if all, if all of our cocktail joints are destroyed. Um, what are we going to do? Go back to the moon? There's UFOs shooting at us the whole way. <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah. I uh so yeah, yeah. That, the that
0: is great. Yeah.
1: And the party unfortunately gets interrupted, uh, because as Aaron alluded to earlier, the spore burned through the floor, yep. burned its way out of the out of the containment shield, and then turned into a chicken and wandered around underground so that, until it Yeah explodes out of the earth like 20 <laughs> full, full
2: kaiju later, form, full size yeah it is,
1: it's it's
0: kaijuized it's, it is funny that they every other version of this movie i mean every other i've you know there's the galaxy of terror stuff from uh the Corman and stuff like that they they would have some idea of a transitional stage between micro almost microscopic spore <laughs> and giant kaiju monster, you know, mainly because it, it it allows you to again do different monster designs, have different levels of threat. You know, you want to appreciate the scale as it's gotten bigger. And it's so funny to me that within five minutes they go from tiny spore in a vial to oh, I guess it's gone. To it's a it's a ten story chicken.
3: Now. You don't even see the like um runaway chicken you know, the thing that leaves the footprint on the floor. Like, no. you just go direct from Spore to Kaiju. Whereas, like, uh, like you were saying, like, uh, in Hetera, I'm thinking they have, like, charts and graphs showing you each evolutionary stage, <laughs> breaking it down so you can, like, yeah. mentally
0: make those leaps. I mean, that's, that's the standard way to do it, right? Like, you you want the the smaller... I mean that's even alien, right? They they so you have the you have the smaller alien and then it's getting bigger and bigger and becoming more ferocious and and there's just there's there's no separation between it's either it's either a tiny thing or a giant thing that's that's what happens and it's it's almost like they're like well I guess we could show it but then we got forty five minutes of solid gold moon cocktail parties <laughs> like we're not gonna cut into that are we? Everyone's like, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think so. To Let's its, just show big monster
3: to its credit, once it is a like hundred foot chicken, um, the movie just like commits to that for the rest of the runtime.
0: Yeah, it's the rest of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> and it also like, I mean, and this is not necessarily a criticism at all. It's like again, all these things are things that I think why this movie is so charming and enjoyable. But um, they clearly like one of the things that Godzilla movies do, and a lot of these kaiju movies, they understand like they need. They need the the creature to destroying certain areas. So usually, what that means, especially for lower budget later era Godzilla movies, is they have a scene in a city where the monster is stomping on a lot of things, and then um, you know that that obviously they get maybe one to two takes of because once it's stomped, I assume they they have other ones they need to replace it with, but they can't just put the stomped one back together and then like usually like then a landmark separately outside of that that bigger set that they have the long scene in and then the rest of the scenes are usually going to be like especially as they meet other monsters or fight the military are mostly going to be in a field or something like that and this does feel even though there is like some more barren fields especially when they do the Jurassic Park car chase and stuff <laughs> like that um Yeah, is this the most influential movie of all time? It's hard. I think I think two thousand one Alien and Jurassic Park (laughs) borrowed directly from the ex of from outer space. But it does feel like they just have one big city street set, and they just use that the entire time. And like you said, Brandon, because there's not the monster goes away, monster comes back in a different location. That like is the structure of these movies, and instead just forty minutes of crazy wild chicken destruction a- action with the exception of when he turns into the, 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 the glowing egg. Cause he has so much energy and, and moves to another area of the map. I guess <laughs> feels feels like a video game Um that it, it is just one constant monster attack for the last 40 minutes. I think
3: that is still a commitment to just the movie's love of miniatures because, Oh yeah. It's just like little tiny things being smashed. And, um, Even when it goes to that barren, you know, landscape, um, because they're kind of luring it away from the city. um, They make sure to throw in that little tiny toy car for it to chase, which is like one more cute little object uh, for that Jurassic Park sequence. Um, And the whole time I'm just like, this is adorable. (laughs) Look how tiny this stuff is.
1: I find it very charming that um, how much this movie is about... uh Trucks and jets and shit because you can tell there's like there there were like five year olds in the theater for this right and I'm like holy shit <laughs> I just sit through watching my parents have a dinner party for like an hour and now I get to watch bombers fly around <laughs> this
2: rules
3: I will say at the end of that miniature rainbow there is one actual horrific sequence which is when they like pour the gillilanium all over the monster and it like foams up um, and like shrinks down like watching something so cute actually turn into this like body horror moment um, is like the only time the movie ever becomes disturbing in any kind of authentic way uh, this is
1: gonna sound this is gonna sound weird or like pro military or something, but like I do kind of like that. Finally, in one of these movies, they don't need another kaiju to kill it. It's just like a bunch of scientists got together and made a cool weapon, and then they dropped the bombs on the thing, and they figured out the exact bombs to to melt this thing. But you're right; like it's kind of like a cute weirdo, similar to the more kitty of the at era. Like, so right in the, like most of the center of the, the at era, like most of these cities are kind of abandoned. Um, <laughs> like you don't get the sense that people are being crushed uh, in in more of the kiddie kaiju movies. And this, I, I get the sense that the city was evacuated um, a long time ago, if I was even going to extend that amount of world building in my head. <laughs> Instead, it's just, you're watching a toy crush other toys. Um... And yeah, it's mostly just cocktail bars. <laughs> I have a hard time. Yeah,
0: I have. I have it's kind of like how time. near the airport there's a couple restaurants that, that no one lives there. <laughs> like yeah. this is near the, near the space airport where they have you know some hangars that that do airport related stuff and businesses, um, and they have a bunch of bars. And yeah, I mean you don't need anything more
1: yeah yeah and, and so I, I have a hard time getting mad enough at, at, at the gila or you know to um feel justified in watching this thing melt the way you would like you know uh in, in another more more violent monster movie where you're like yeah this monster probably has to go like at the end of american werewolf in london like yeah the, it's probably for the best that david is riddled with bullets there doesn't seem to be a a cure for um uh, werewolfism in this movie um like in this and you're you're right like it, it kind of makes you feel bad to have this like body horror moment where this thing is just like melting and melting
0: <laughs> yeah it really turns into a goo form it's uh it's a very odd choice but it also speaks to like something i mentioned earlier like this this ki- the the monster in this movie has no identity which is just so common in these movies like I knew why Rodan was attacking people. I knew what Mothra's motivation was. I knew why Godzilla, whether it was in early stage or b- before. And again, this just feels like a, again, like a dumb animal that's been let loose and doesn't know what to do. So like that empathy of like, what does this monster want? What is this monster feeling? Uh, whether as a, what do you feel about him as a threat where you're supposed to be celebrating his takedown? Um or anything else, this just feels like well, I'm glad they put that out of its misery because I'm <laughs> sure it'll be happier in spore form uh because it it just seemed like Sporn. it's it's yeah, it seemed miserable and in pain, and it had no it had no uh motivation for anything it was doing besides like why am I here? don't make me exist. what is happening ah like that that's the that's what it's doing the whole time, so like Yeah, when it explodes into it, goo. um, You're just like, okay, thank God.
3: (laughs) I will say, like, if there's any, like, way that it's surprising this monster didn't take off, it's that most of my thinking when I saw it on screen was like, and I'm not a movie collectible person at all, but I'm like, I kind of want a toy version of that for my desk just to look at every now and, <laughs> and then. Because he's so cute. Uh, it'd be, it'd it'd be, be more pl- fun just so that deal. people
0: come up and go, like, oh, is that like uh, is that like a knockoff Godzilla? You're like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's Galila.
3: The most influential <laughs> science fiction film of all time.
0: Yeah, have you ever okay, seen there, You know Galila. what stops Galaila, right? <laughs> Galailaninium. <Galenian.
3: laughs> Which uh, is an influence on Unobtainium in the Avatar series. So I mean, again,
0: <laughs> the most influential movie of time to- of all time. I think that that uh, we didn't we skipped over it really quick, but there's a scene where uh, Galila, <laughs> hey there, Galila, <laughs> is, um, is is chasing a um, is chasing a car. Um, Which you never – which is – again, speaking of like the rules of these movies are out the door, you never see these things like chase an individual thing because they're usually this force of nature and like if anything, it's like a helicopter or a train or something is, or a car has flown into its radius. But they're not like – they're not usually like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park where they – you know, see some sort of stimulus and then react to it because they're animals on the on the hunt. They they destroy things, but they're not like act. act you know, uh, they're not King Kong. They're not a- uh, actually trying to get someone specifically. So when he's chasing the car, and you see a man, I mean, what's 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 effectively a man in a giant rubber suit who's acting like a confused chicken chasing a (laughs) tiny remote control car on what looks like a jet runway and then he's very close like again it is a hundred feet tall this is not it's not like the dinosaur it's like tyrannosaurus rex in jurassic park where he's two stories tall and yes he can run fast but like just his 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 um just his leg span we'll be able to catch up in a step. Like no matter how fast I think that car is going. And so it is, it, is, it is so goddamn charming. I could watch that scene all day of this guy in the suit pretending to run fast but not really chasing a tiny toy electric car.
1: It's bizarre, but it's, it's unique. They, they really stretch that out. And like any amount of tension that you took into the scene – is gone by the fifth time they just re re show you the same shot of the the claw weakly swinging <laughs> vaguely in the same dimension as <laughs> <That's> the car <laughs> That's the car and the guy just going whoo 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 which also again i
0: assume very influential on interstellar because there's that the you know there's that part in interstellar where the house and the fire is, is spreading and then they keep cutting back to Topher for Grace for like a half hour and every time he's <laughs> like, the fire's almost there! Get out! And it just keeps doing that over and over which I think is supposed to build tension but also, like, also you know, Interstellar is like a terribly paced movie. So I think, again, another movie that uh, that I think took its direct inspiration from the extra from outer space. 2001, Alien, <laughs> Jurassic Park. Avatar, you so. <laughs> some big ones. The film "Grow Bro" canon origin story is the X from outer space.
1: Oh yeah, uh, I think it's 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 really uh, the sort of spore that modern sci-fi grew <laughs> out of. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and then much like some of that, the people that like those movies, they should be put in a heliocentric order around the sun i think to avoid harming the rest of us
1: oh yeah for sure for <laughs> sure um <laughs> how is it like goodfellas any anything we can riff on there <laughs> uh there's yeah, a lot of like cool cocktails. cocktail parties and some yeah, goodfellas. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> i mean
3: i more directly like i i was talking up godzilla versus hetera earlier and like this is a few years before that um not quite as good <laughs> but uh it, it has like a, j- a jazziness to it uh that and like a you know free flowing um sort of loose feel to it that i think that movie really ran away with into a more yeah. psychedelic direction um but i i don't think that it would be out of the question that this would have been like an influence on that movie like very directly
1: <laughs> i i don't i also don't th- i i think they just genuinely could not imagine what the future would look like um without uh sexy swing music and cocktails <laughs> that's the that's future like i want to live in yeah i mean <laughs> we didn't quite get that future um but the boomers got it for a period of time i want to live in a future
3: where i can just stop doing my job take a shower and put on a cocktail dress at like a moment's notice
1: <laughs>
3: that's the life i want to live
1: i do love okay so i have friends that are scientists are researchers and How, what's their sample what, what's their sample sitch <laughs> their samples uh well one of them that just she just completed her doctorate um is on uh, coral so she actually went to the East Coast to gather coral for um, one of her experiments.
0: Oh, so you're saying that a lot of science is sample gathering.
1: Yeah, yeah. And she gathered – I would say that Lisa, Dr. Lisa, gathered one sample and then she immediately hit the bar. <laughs> I mean it's a, it's a big my friend, My friend usually needs to gather a few samples – uh, before she's allowed to hit the bar. Uh, scientists work long fucking hours. I don't know if you guys know this. It's a very hard and tedious job. And then um, in this movie... Peter, this movie, have movie, you seen this movie? I don't think person. that
0: stacks up at all.
1: <laughs> in, in this movie, approximately... Um, okay, so Lisa is a doctor for five minutes. She's the, She's the closest the movie has to a scientist. Yeah. She's a doctor for five minutes. She looks through a microscope for five minutes and goes... Man, I just don't get it because she's looking at like a fucking like <laughs> she's looking at like a color spectrum for like syncing her TVs, light and dark patterns or something <laughs> like she's she's syncing the color contrast on her TV or something. Um, and then she's like, you know what? Go go uh, go g- monster yeah. is really <laughs> blowing up the earth. Uh, I'm going to fly to the moon because they have a better moon lab. Why do they have to go to the moon? And everyone acts like it's heroic to get off of the planet that's getting blown up, so they can go to the moon base. With She's Earth safer than anyone. <laughs> <laughs> like people are like, "Oh uh, yeah, I'd love to go to the moon too." There's no <laughs> please the take of the moon, me right? with you. <laughs> Yeah, so at the end of the movie, um, the the love triangle that uh, they the movie insists was real
2: <laughs>
1: deflates um, because, you know, uh, we just – we need some closure on that romantic relationship, right? But not um, through any all... sort of – like, there's no
0: conflict. They're, you know, the other guy is like, Dr. Lisa, well, now you can be with the captain. And she's like, I think he loves someone else. And then it cuts to the other <laughs> – to someone else her her friend and colleague and but she knew the captain at sunset she knew there was something between them because when they first get to
3: the moon base she's helping the captain flirt with her romantic rival like she like yeah. gives her earrings as a gift and like nudges the captain to like make sure that she gets to keep them and like most movies where two women are fighting over a guy it's like very annoying like that's their entire personality but yeah. Lisa and her enemy get along very well and are very like adorable with each other. Um and there's only like melodrama about it at the very, very end where uh this, this American actress is like <laughs> crying as hard as she can, um, selling this like heartbreak. Um Yeah, I
0: do think this movie passes the Beckel test. <laughs> 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 because they definitely talk about things that are not that are not the captain or men in general, uh, in their scenes together. Um, now, th- one of those scenes is them showering together. I don't know if that tips it a different way. No,
1: no. It, that does not. Uh, I don't think Al- Alison Bechdel would object to uh, some light uh, lesb- lesbian. Uh, they don't look at each other. As,
0: no, they, uh, they respect the privacy. Instead of one of them waiting 10 minutes, they're like, we're doing this the exact same time, even though we're going to be here for really as long as the vibe carries us. But we yeah, will not it,
1: look at each other. Yeah, like <laughs> like yeah, we all need to shower and make sure that we got to the closet bar at the same time, like uh we we, we weren't late for uh being sexually harassed in the the bar that uh <laughs> we don't want to be in and um absolutely does not inspire any sexiness in us. It is uh, ju-
0: it is just a weird ending though because like it, it, like I they don't really commit to this being a love triangle at all. There's a few Like I said, it's not their – you're right, Brandon. It's not their personalities. They only kind of mention it. And then the movie forgets about it for 45 minutes while (laughs) it focuses on a kaiju attack. And then the end is like, you know what? I don't think it's going to work out. (laughs) And then she cries and then it goes to like two people who are in the sunset like, should we fuck? <laughs> <laughs> or just slink off know. back to America, I guess is what they're doing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's it is it's it is like something that like someone rereading the script on a rewrite was like, "Oh yeah. Should we do something with that? <laughs> Should
2: we I, add that?"
3: I will say one last adorable thing about the movie is that um whoever played Lisa, her publicist obviously wrote her IMDb description. <laughs> um Apparently, she is from Mississippi and she moved to Japan for like college and ended up in three Japanese movies and then made a return to acting in 2021 after that brief run in the 60s to, like, voice a character in an anime or something. Um, <laughs> but, like, there's a lot of information packed in her little IMDb biography, which I found adorable on top of yeah, everything else. She must have a pro account.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I do, I uh, mean, I think we're we're essentially at final thoughts. Um, but I, I do think, like, part of the reason I I wanted to do this and I didn't want to do like a or you know Antragon or Varen or any of those other movies is because all of those movies are very similar. So it's not that there's not stuff to like about those movies as I mentioned. I I haven't seen all of all of them, but I've seen enough and they they're fun and they're enjoyable and you know sometimes they 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 almost feel like um you know mid Showa era where they're doing things that are a little more like okay, let's do a underwater Atlantis thing with uh and they have a they have a sea monster that can attack people or stuff like that. So there's 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 fun to be had from uh suitmation and and people in suits destroying models and buildings and there's a care and a tactile quality that you just don't get from a lot of, you know, more modern uh kaiju uh movies. Uh but All of them still follow just a very tried and true formula, especially in the early outings when you're like are trying to introduce a threat. And so, yes, we could do one of those, but would we be doing one that actually is any any different from the Godzilla movies really fundamentally that we're covering? And I think this is the only one that I've seen that really manages to still be heavily influenced by – an extraordinarily influential era in japan japanese cinema with the the 60s and 50s kaiju summation movies pioneered by you know the the original godzilla while still feeling different enough to to talk about and so if you haven't seen this movie it is on the criterion channel it is unfortunately uh because they released it for their Eclipse box sets which which have been DVDs where they like I don't know they don't really do the full remaster treatment it it does it does look like a DVD cut that's online i would love for them to do a do a full HD remaster on this and Goke especially uh, but it's still very much worth your time and again it's not another 60s japanese kaiju movie it is the only one that really looks and feels like this
1: yeah <clears throat> yes, absolutely. Um, I can give my final thoughts here. Yeah, um, yeah, nothing, nothing too uh, too deep um here, however, it was very nice to get a little bit more of a perspective on what what other movies of this this exploitation era were picking up on because I am always fascinated by uh media that is exploitational in such a direct way that you can make kind of direct comparisons like Aaron and I spent a long time. I think it was like a year, year and a half ago, um, watching spaghetti Westerns and how spaghetti Westerns were so brazenly just the, the Italian film industry being like, we're going to pick up on, um, this, this sort of trend in American film and, and chase it that, um, you got some crazy, crazy movies in there um, that were elaborating on all sorts of ideas because it ended up being sort of like a, a frame to hang on uh, your your other concepts or your your um, story riffs. Like this one is going to be particularly nihilistic, or this one is going to be more focused on slavery because the American movies tend to to dodge around that. Like there there were a ton of great spaghetti westerns that did that, and 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 this really opens the door for me. To see uh, the kaiju genre is sort of like that, uh, a Western genre in the sense of like uh, it became a frame for people to say, all right, we're selling this to you as has big monster. <laughs> Once you get in the theater, what are you actually going <laughs> to see? Um, so this, this kind of opened up the world a little bit to me because for I think for a period of time, especially having not seen a lot of Godzilla movies, um, just just the eight or whatever um
2: (laughs) a small (laughs) fraction
1: (laughs) i was like i was like well you know why would i bother with the imitators when i could i could you know stick with the main series and this has made me be like curious about um even the, the 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 um the ones that maybe didn't have the same budget or were operating in a sort of different venue or the ones that were sort of like um me too me too kind of exploitation movies um what what they have to offer. So I'm glad, Aaron. You you dropped right in the middle of of our Godzilla series. You dropped something that was not a Godzilla movie because it was not made by Toho.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, again, now that I've got you hooked, Peter, I can show you anything. The X, the Y, the Z, all the outer space ones. <laughs> is, th- is there is there a Z from outer space? <laughs> it sounds like you're hitting on someone. <laughs> is there a Z from, Z outer... from outer space? Uh, Does Brandon? X have a sister? any final (laughs) uh any final thoughts on this one i'm glad that we ended up doing this because this was a suggestion that i had a few years ago um i love
3: that this actually doesn't even hit my like kaiju pleasure pleasure centers the way that like (laughs) uh like most godzilla movies do it's more the like cormany space exploration movies that i associate with this in my head and then the kaiju stuff is just lanyap at the end it's like oh that's an extra thing that's great um i kind of wish that more people would engage with this kind of stuff like i'm thinking of like the big claw it's like a really fun one from america that hits a lot of the same notes um but it's always like A pure joy for me when, like, um, an institution like Criterion will pluck one of these, like, genre gems from the trash pile and present it as art. Because then people have to deal with it. Where I feel like the um, default mode of, like, watching this stuff is more the, like, MST3K treatment. Where it's, like, something you kind of, like, watch in the background while you kind of make fun of over beers. Um, And I, I don't know. I feel like, as we were saying somewhat jokingly, like, these movies are part of the same genre continuum of the high art stuff that we really appreciate from the like seventies and eighties and beyond. Um, It's just like they were earlier in that evolution and the people who made those movies grew up watching these um, and they have something to offer for genre fans that's like very genuine and fun um this one's offering is just like a jazzy cute time (laughs) but uh that's it's more substantial than that sounds like i actually like get great pleasure out of watching this um even more so than some of the kaiju movies that have like a genuine um thematic purpose which i don't think this one does <laughs> i think it really is just like look at how cute the miniatures are yeah. and that is more than enough for me
0: yeah um, let's try to let's try to do this and they just did it differently than <laughs> everyone else that had a better handle on it yeah and sort of sort of did i uh you know I, on, on the on the end note to take us out here i do i do think that's true i think that there's a lot of sci-fi besides the prestige stuff from this era that like has disappeared to the 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 waste bin of history a lot of times. And, like, it is really eye-opening sometimes when you discover these things that you start hearing about or that whether it ends up on Criterion or on TCM or on, like, now HBO Max has a really good uh, TCM selection, stuff like that. And, like, you know, I remember discovering stuff that I'd never heard about in, like, my first, you know, 30 years of – Of being pretty not just engaged in movies but sci-fi movies and you discover stuff like the world, the flesh and the devil or the earth dies screaming and stuff like that. And you're just like, how did I never hear of any of this stuff? Because these are great like sci-fi concepts about like the alien invasion or, uh, you know, the world after apocalypse that like – is still relevant with what the way that we're making movies down yet. These like fantastic examples of the, of the genre that were a little less prestigy than some other ones at, at the time, like just don't get talked about until they're discovered. So yeah, I, I love those eclipse box sets and I love how much of this ends up back um, just with the ability to, you know, have these streaming channels competing for content. Sometimes, you know, the, the plus the, the, we all know the dark side of all that, but some of the plus side is that you end up rediscovering or have the availability to watch stuff that, like otherwise, would have never been, uh, never been available uh, and, to us. So,
3: and the good news for people who are schlock hungry is that the ones that haven't been selected for that prestige presentation are pretty much all on YouTube. <laughs> on
2: YouTube,
0: but that's <laughs> yeah. the problem. You need to know what to search for, right? True, like true. you. I mean, I guess Letterboxd helps like sci-fi movie. You can do a bunch of list searches. But anyways, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the show. Anything uh, to, I, I know what you have to plug, but if you want to direct people there again.
3: <laughs> well, I do write reviews on Swampflix.com, but for the most part, I'd like people to try to listen to the Swampflix podcast, which I feel like we cover movies like this amidst other criterion level films <laughs> uh i don't know recently we did an episode on charlie chaplin and then we did an episode on the um overlook film festival which is like all the new horror movies that are going to come out in the next year um got to see them in new orleans at like a small theater um and then we did an episode on like nick cage when he's trying to be sexy so like <laughs> a very wide range of topics um that really don't have anything to do with each other in a way that I feel like does not make the show marketable. Like I cannot give you a quick pitch on what it is. But uh, it it is a bunch of friends um hanging out and making each other watch films for discussions a lot like the one with that we
0: just had. Um, Yeah. And some of those friends are on this show sometimes. Sometimes. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh yeah, it's uh it's it is a great podcast and very like a very funny thing that we still now now that we're like six years away from it. Brandon, we, Peter and I were just like, God, it has the dissolved Facebook group been around for seven years and we're, you know, we're six years into content podcast creation, but that we separately started around the same time and quickly found each other's orbit. So, uh, yeah good good stuff and Great. it's always a it's yeah. always a pleasure to talk with y'all
3: like honestly yeah. um i even have a better setup than i ever have before for internet recording now thanks to the wonders of covid um ruining everything <laughs> um so <laughs> anytime you want a guest uh i i always find immense pleasure doing this with y'all yeah
1: yeah we will we will most certainly be be back uh very soon uh um, oh yeah we're yeah, coming to, i i
0: beat phrase that I like we're gonna... coming to your home <laughs> Hey, please do. We're going to be back. <laughs> um, we originally were going to do one showa episode, and that turned into two showa episodes, four official movies, but really six movies that both Peter and I watched. And uh a- after a lot of like conflicted conversation about me saying, "God, we I really wish we could figure out a way to better introduce you to the series because but uh because Biolanti's is so good and Godzilla uh, – The Return of Godzilla kind of sets it up to like being very different from what you're going to get from all the show and stuff that after some hemming and hawing on my part, we figured out a way for Peter to watch Biolanti, and now have split the the Heisei series into <laughs> two, two episodes. So uh, next week, we're going to do uh, The Return of Godzilla uh, and – uh, which takes place, assuming all the other Showa movies except the original, does not exist. It came out 30 years after the original, and it uh, has Godzilla emerging for the first time since its supposed death in in 1954, which is then followed by Godzilla vs. Biollante. That's going to be what we're covering next week. And then the following week, we're going to go a little bit further into that series by watching uh, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah and Godzilla vs. Before we take another little pause into kaiju films of the 2000s with uh, with Pacific Rim and then get into the millennial series, the American series, and end it with the most uh, recent live action Toho Godzilla movies with one of Peter's favorites, Shin Godzilla. So we got a lot more episodes coming up. We're going to go right into the middle of September. Uh, So hopefully, if you're listening, uh, one of the problems with uh, our our format is that if you do a month that people aren't into, uh, you see listenership drop off. (laughs) And then if you do a double month that people aren't into, you're in a lot of trouble. And now we're taking a double month and making it a 2.5 month month. This this could be bad, but it doesn't matter because we're talking about – um, a giant uh, flame breathing lizard. I don't know. Uh, with that, I hope you all have a good night and don't count your chickens before they are spored. Buck, 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 buck. Buck,
2: buck, buck, buck.